we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Give it to him. Give it to him. Boom, shakalaka. He's an intimidating personality. Like, everybody this, is this kissing his nuts. butt. Everybody's kissing his butt the whole time, but I come at him. Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the face during a practice. <laughs> What you gonna do about it? Uh, what you gonna do about it? Did you know you were actually this good? No. <laughs> From the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network, this is an Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball. Next week on the show, we have the author of maybe the most controversial book in the history of basketball. Sam Smith, the longtime Chicago Bulls writer and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Jordan Rules, will be on the show next week. So make sure you are subscribed to the feed to get that when it drops. Well, in Ireland back in the early 2000s, Paul Cummins was a standout star for his school, his country and his club. It was during a time when getting seen by the eyes that made the decisions on basketball scholarships in America was next to impossible. Yet, as you will hear by a stroke of luck through being in the right place at the right time, his hard work met its opportunity when Bill Dooley spotted him in the National Basketball Arena. Paul lived the dream of playing high school, prep, and Division One college basketball in the US, while also picking up a BA in psychology and music. Returning home, he used the game to get his master's from Edinburgh and a PhD from Ulster, and today he's the managing director of Sea Change Limited and the co-author of two great books on leadership in sport and coaching. But perhaps his proudest achievement is the Sports Dream Academy he set up to help other Irish ball players get seen by the eyes that were so far away back in his day. The academy, along with its elite invitational cap, has paved the way for countless others to win basketball scholarships in the US and continues to win awards and improve players through Paul's vision to help develop them, show them what elite programs look for and put them in the shop window. But the maddest thing for me is I went to school with this guy and we all knew he was going to be a great player. He was already brilliant. But I guess it's impossible to know when someone possesses this level of passion for the game. If you'd like to hear the full conversation, including an extra 30 minutes of content on the shooting drills Paul used to change his game and some truly amazing accounts of the NBA talent he came up against, including Steph Curry when he was in high school, you'll have to sign up to our premium feed, patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Paul Cummins, it's strange and brilliant to have you on the Irishman Inside Basketball. And for those that don't know, there'll be plenty of people listening to this that do know that I haven't seen you in 20 years, but we knew each other for probably 10 years prior to that uh, last meeting. And our lives went off in very different directions. You went and lived the dream. You very much the dream for uh, a lad like me and you in Newbridge at that time was to get a scholarship to America to play basketball 
and eventually go pro. And dream is the word. And it feels like the perfect word that I'm so glad you included it in your academy, the Sports Dream Academy, because it was a dream. There was no structure in place at the time for anybody to do such a thing. And it really relied on luck. Do you reflect now on it, having built this academy and facilitated that dream for so many other kids and realise I, I may be the luckiest man in Irish sports? Yeah, well, it's a great question. I mean, I do feel that way. You know, there was, obviously there was a lot of hard work involved as well. But mm. but really, I, I think I was blessed as well in terms of the opportunities that presented themselves and where I ended up. And, uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned, Jarlath, we know each other um, since we were younger and it really was the dream. It was the goal. And, you know, I think I think. Uh, Really, my my journey actually, I suppose, has motivated me and inspired me to try and help other talented Irish athletes actually get similar opportunities because I had a fantastic time. You know, mm. I really did. It, well, was, it was a really wonderful experience. Well, let's get into that because, you, you know, as I say, and yeah, I meant no disrespect in terms of the look because, you know, uh, success is when uh, you know, hard work meets opportunity. But what I Absolutely. mean in terms of the look is the there was no structure for it. Sure, there were Irish guys that went to American universities. And I mean, Sonia O'Sullivan, a friend of mine and someone who's been on the podcast many times, knew that there was a structure for her to get to Villanova for athletics. But in terms of basketball, it was, I mean, it was really pie in the sky stuff to the point where lads wouldn't go into basketball because sure what future was there in that i mean if you were an athlete you were better off in the 90s in ireland in investing your talents in the ga where you could be a legend right not yeah, maybe yeah. not as a kildare man but uh, <laughs> <laughs> certainly in in your locality i mean yeah. the big fortunate moment for you and has to be bill dooley right so you at this point are uh, uh, really, if you're not blowing smoke, but a kind of a prodigious talent, it, it re certainly relative to the rest of the country. You're playing National League at 15 years old, young player of the year in the country at 16. And this guy, Bill Dooley, tell us who Bill Dooley is and exactly how much he was changing your life by presenting you with this chance. Yeah, um, so Bill was a f uh, formerly coached at uh, University of Richmond in the US. It was a Division One school, and he's he obviously played, and he was he was uh, highly involved in the collegiate circuit in the US. And um, he ended up taking the role as the Irish senior men's national team coach, um, and also uh, supporting kind of basketball Ireland's development. Um, and it was right around the time that he kind of accepted that uh, role in Ireland that I was kind of. Up and coming, I suppose I'd made the uh, the underage Irish teams, and and um, I had a very good year, kind of when I was in, uh, around sixteen. And I, as you said, I, I won junior player of the year. And Bill just happened to see me play, and we got chatting afterwards. And and I didn't think anything kind of of it, but he was, I think, in the background maybe tracking my progress. And uh, he approached me. And just said, look, I, I think you'd do well in the US. Uh, one of his good friends at the time was uh, the high school coach uh, at Ravenscroft in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
And Bill kind of said, would you be interested in connecting with this coach if I connect you? And would you be interested in possibly going to play and study in the US? So I, I mean, first I of all, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's let's <laughs> yeah. let's pause that because it, it, does he say this to you in person or over the phone? And uh, is there a double take with you when uh, when he actually says it? Because uh, I mean, your eyes must have popped out of your head. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jared, you know exactly uh, what that would have meant, I suppose, to me or or you. I mean, you were. Not to sidetrack, but you were uh, um, somebody I very much looked up to on the basketball team in Newbridge, you, you know, about four or five years older. And you were, I remember you were one of the first guys I saw dunk a basketball. So I was very Can I was you very repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> I just want the listeners to know that took place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it was, I, I, I literally remember very well because we used to go down into the Newbridge gym and uh, the young lads, like we were only, I was would have been 12, 13 and you would have been there and there was the likes of, you know, Morgan O'Sullivan and Kieran Dempsey and Liam Cunningham, those boys just scrimmaging and we'd be watching intent, intently. But uh, it was great. There was actually what I'm very grateful for, actually, is that there was a good culture mm. ahead of us in Newbridge uh, for basketball, which is a weird thing because you wouldn't expect that to be the case. Um, and it, But it really helped shape me and my love for the game. And, and I suppose uh, having role models there to try and emulate was a big part of it so the dream for all of us i think at that stage was to try and you know get to the states because you know there wasn't a lot of any opportunities really but you knew that's where you needed to go to play with the best and um when bill yeah he he, he came to me um i was actually up in the arena I, I just finished the game with the club team and he was he was in the lobby area and my coach said look would, would you have a quick chat here with bill he wants to chat to you so he sat me down and he just said look would this be of interest and if so can I talk to your parents and I literally my heart jumped out of my chest I mean I couldn't believe it I was shocked but so over the moon you know it was it was as you say a dream come through yeah so, even even the conversation to be in that conversation must have been the dream like he says uh, if you're interested <laughs> uh, can I talk yeah. to your parents I mean, there's like the reason why I'm going into this in such depth is because, you know, this is inside basketball. This is like the part of the game that nobody really knows about and that, you know, is is kind of a given in the US that, you know, somebody has this talent, somebody plays. There's a route to follow. But in essence, what Bill Dooley did in that moment was create a new path for you that just wasn't going to be there otherwise and a path that would you know suddenly produce all these other paths for all these other Irish players like it is it is kind of crazy the planets aligning element of this and the effects that it would have for Irish basketball going forward so my next question is what did your parents say because for them I guess it's bittersweet they know you're great at it your parents are incredibly good people but they they obviously don't want to they know the risks involved and the chance that they're gonna lose their son for a few years yeah i mean it was um i i remember my dad picked me up from after that game and uh, bill had left at that stage so he didn't get the chance to chat to him and you know i told him excitedly in the car and and he was over the moon i mean my dad's 
you know, in fairness to him too, he would he would do a full a full day's work uh, in RLB. He was just where he worked at the time in Newbridge, and then you know he would drive me from after work, drive up to Dublin three times a week for Super League training, and he'd just kind of fall asleep in the car while I trained and bring me back home. And wow. I'd get home get home at about eleven because we lived out in the country in Kildare, and then I'd start my homework and get a big meal into me. I mean, it was he was he was inc- incredible, but so he knew how much work had gone in, and he knew what I wanted to do. So he was over the moon. My mum, when I told her was distraught really (laughs) yeah she was i mean she she initially was happy for me but she um she seemingly i mean i didn't know this because i was on cloud nine but that night she just sobbed all night now at this stage i you know there was nothing definite at all but i think we all probably in our gut knew that this was a really good opportunity and that's you know, um, I was, you know, a pack of wild horses wouldn't have stopped me from going. And, and it was my dream. I actually, it was just a funny side story, but I remember at 13, I was on the way to, one was dri- driving me to school. And, uh, you know, at that age, you're kind of, as a parent, you're probably thinking, right, you need to shape your kids' ambitions slightly and maybe set realistic expectations, uh, you know, to a degree. And we just got talking about what I'd be interested in doing, you know, or, or ending up being. And I straight away said, I, I'm, I want to play college basketball. I want to play Division One college basketball. I'm going to get a scholarship. And I remember her saying, you know, would you cop on to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> what age were you when she said that? I was 13. And, and again, she's been the best and she is a, a wonderful woman. But, you know, for I think it's a very normal attitude for an Irish parent mm. to have is kind of like, look, you know, you've got to leave and start ahead of you and you get your, you go to college here and you get, you know, you, have to, you need to be thinking more. Um, mm, let's get real. Uh, and let's get real. Yeah. So I, I do remind her of that now and again, which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like there's obviously a protective element to that as well, because like to an extent, like I did chase it too. I remember having a conversation with a coach. Not No, it wasn't even a coach. It was somebody from Kentucky where my brother lived about the possibility of going over. And, you know, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in that he said, look, we, we could just go over and see if you enjoy a year of high school over there. And I, I don't think I've told many people even about this, but, you know, for, for me, that was like, I actually did have that moment of your mother in the car with somebody who was potentially going, look, we'll, we'll make that happen if, if this is what you want. And I probably had to choose right there and then if actually am I going to do this? And I chose not to, to an extent. I I, I did get real and realise, no, no, I'm probably not going to do this. Because, Paul, like, the roll of the dice and the thing that went into my head at that time was the potential of losing out on the amazing Irish school system, the incredible opportunity that's presented to you at home that is the opportunity loss of going right well I'm going to go to the States and give this a whack and then somehow if it doesn't come off you're behind the eight ball when you get back yeah yeah and, and you know it's a really it's a really important thing to weigh up you know and I, I'd often advise young talented players now around that too there's so many variables that go into it and um, you know for, for me I was completely blind to any of those risks i mean that's kind of my personality anyway but but my parents you know they were so supportive like when i think back i mean and we're a very very close family 
Um, I wouldn't have, I didn't even think about the repercussions. Like I know my sister's only, you know, 18 months younger than me and she would have been kind of 14, 15 when I left, which was, you know, it's, it's always a challenging time. And I, and I think it might, me leaving certainly affected her mm. as well as obviously my parents. Um, but, you know, I didn't think about it, but I think the folks definitely weighed it up quite quickly. And, and what really helped Charlotte is actually, so after that conversation with Bill, Bill actually visited our home. He came out to Kildare and he had dinner with us and he, he sat down and he was very, Basically, you know, he he very much explained the realities of the opportunity uh, to to my parents and myself. So, what were um, those? Well, he he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, "Look, this this is going to be very different." He mentioned weighing up the variables, like you know, for example, what if the, you know you could get injured? You know, it may not it may not be something you know, that you're able for in terms of mm. missing home. But in the same breath, what he did say was he very much vouched for the school, the so- social support network, the coach, um, who's a good friend of his. And he also said he thinks I have the, I suppose, the talent to succeed, but more importantly, the, the probably the personality. Because um, he'd know, I suppose, I, I am an extrovert and I, I do kind of like to you know, explore and, and get stuck into new opportunities. And I think he recognized that in me. And um, so he kind of said, look, if, if if things don't work out on the basketball side, he still believes it'll, be a, a, it'll work out from, a, I suppose, an academic and a, and a social aspect. And he made that very clear. And he, he wasn't pushy at all. And he was very much saying, look, this is your decision. Take your time, weigh up all the options. And, and if you have any questions, you know, you can ask me. He was really, he handled it very well. And that personal touch, I think, really you know, uh, my parents really respected that um, mm. as well, you know. So when you like, this is mad for me to even have this chat, because like I say, I, I won't harp on this, that like I, I've missed 20 years of your life, the most incredible journey imaginable. So I'm as I'm as fascinated by this as anybody listening, but probably more so that you then go out there and you know, for me, the attraction would be the basketball, but another attraction would be like <laughs> sunshine. I know this sounds crazy, but like, honestly, Kildare was wet and cold and windy. Uh, our, our school was great, but like it was not an American high school. As as good looking as the girls were in Kildare, they're not American high school girls. Am I am I going off on one here, Paul, or was there the head on a swivel, eyes pop out of your head element of actually going there for the first time and feeling like you're kind of in a high school movie? Yeah, I'd lo- you're spot on, uh, spot on. I was, um, you know, it felt. All of the cliches uh, you kind of read and 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 watch, say a, a TV show on uh, about, were were real. Honestly, like I I was kind of going pinching myself to a degree when I first got over there. <laughs> like um, jocks, because, nerds, <laughs> cheerleaders. Yeah, jocks, nerds, cheerleaders. You've got the goths. You've got the the whole um. You know, even even just being in school with with girls. I mean, we you know, PBS was a was a secondary school with all boys and there was no uniform. It was a very much it was a private high school, so it was kind of smaller classes, much more engaging in terms of the the, the teaching uh, element and but yeah, you get, you know, you're walking down these American high school corridors and you've got guy like 
the jocks in their leather or uh, leather jackets you know those yeah like the letterman jackets, jackets yeah jackets and yeah uh, you've got the beautiful girls i mean i you know i'm not gonna lie i really enjoyed that element of it as well <laughs> and the, huh. the, the weather too i mean the the rally is is a, a, a lovely lovely city um but you know you're waking up every morning to blue skies and sunshine and it's wearing shorts and t-shirts to school i mean it was really it was such a such a such a different change no i just i, I just loved it like it really you know i i, I think i embraced it but it, it was easy to embrace because it was so exciting <laughs> you de- yeah like you described it in another interview as the maybe the best two years of your life and i'm sure you know there were aspects of you know playing in front of five thousand people in their gym having assistant coaches along with a regular coach and having kind of the like the the situation that we were raised in and that most Irish kids at the time were used to was training was once a week. This situation was set up for you to achieve like the day is tailored around getting the most out of your skills. Like how was it to feel like you could nearly gorge on basketball in that situation to the point of actually doing harm to yourself in that there was never a reason to really stop because everybody wanted you to keep going. Yeah, it was it was just, as you say, the the night and day from what I was used to here in Ireland. You know, I mean, we trained every day and they had practice gyms and there the obviously the main gym was like our, our games on a on a Friday night were a real event. Just to get again, like you'd see in 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 kind of One Tree Hill or one or you know one of these type yeah. of shows where you're kind of going. Surely it's not like that. No, it's it's really like that where you know it was packed and especially when we played kind of our local rival, who was a team called Cardinal Gibbons. I mean, it was just standing room only, and it was um, yeah. In terms of the training element, like we pretty much we practiced every day, and um, they had a weight room, and I was very. Uh, at the time very very skinny i mean i you know i looked like i hadn't eaten in two years and <laughs> you know for, for me it was it was the immediate thing for the coach kind of said look get your ass in the gym and uh i did i lived in the gym you know and it's it really helped my strength and my my, my um physique um and it, it helped change my game for the better and i would get up again early go in before school so school would start at eight o'clock i used to get up at about six and me and my uh, my good friend, one of my best friends, Kevin Stevenson, who I lived with, uh, we'd go and we'd get shots up before school. No problem. In you go. You, you know, gym is there for you. So, you know, there wasn't it wasn't a question of like in Ireland, it was about where could you find a basket? You know, could, yeah. could, you know how much was how much was the gym to rent? Can yeah. I afford? Is it an, an, an insurance <laughs> risk for to have kids exactly. in there shooting early in the morning? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's just it was it was almost impossible, you know, when you're here in Ireland. But for over there, it was just more about, as you said, how much how much did you want it? How much effort and attention and time were you going to put into it? And and I really put a lot of energy into it and absolutely loved every second. Let me ask um, you this then. Yeah. You know, I often was puzzled that, you know, the standard of the play that was happening in Ireland at the time even just in terms of schools, ball was extremely good, right? It was uh, it was very entertaining, whatever way you looked at it, maybe relative to the world. It wasn't hugely uh, high, but 
I could never understand why there wasn't more of a local interest, a groundswell of people that were like, yeah, well, we'll we'll attend that game. I always marveled at those 5000 people attending these high school games as to uh, their passion and the interest in how how well the high school team does. Where does that come from? Like, what is that about? And is it as as you say, the the One Tree Hill kind of thing of that? It's it's kind of a civic pride thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's that um, it's the culture, I think, that, you know, in in rally um, in the kind of private high school uh, division, there was a real sense of pride as to who had the best team, who were the best players, you know, like especially for the conference we played in, which was which was a good conference. You know, there'd be you know a lot of a lot of pride in those rivalry games you know mm. so you'd get cross town people who knew each other i mean i'm sure the parents probably worked together and they they'd know each other but and they'd be decent but when it came to what coming to the coming to the game they were on the other side of the of the court screaming at each other you know and 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 it was it was but it was all it was all done quite uh, in a very i suppose professional way but i think just for culturally Basketball, too, was such a big, big sport, you know, like people genuinely loved watching games and tracking good players. And mm. um, and I think rally as well, like not all cities are like this in the US, but it has a very, very good basketball tradition, history, um, both at the high school and collegiate level, obviously, with the likes of Duke and North Carolina within, you know, 20 minutes of our own high school. So did you and go to I those think- games? Did you ever attend any of those games? Because like I, I, even the fact that your coach played at Duke, uh, like it's kind of it must have given you a sense of actually this is not beyond the realms of possibility that uh, this could happen. I mean, that must have been your thought in the, that first year there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, again, I was very lucky with the family that uh, hosted me. So part of the setup was that I was hosted with family. I actually had two families. The first, I was six months, first six months I was there, I was with a wonderful family um, called the Kuklinskis. And and then when um, and Nick Kuklinski was a senior at the time, he graduated. I was a junior when I lived with him. And then the following year, I moved in with the Stevenson family. And they were uh, Dukies. So Gary Stevenson, who's a uh, was the dad he had season tickets to Duke games so I would go and watch you know watch games as much as I could um, you know and, and that was amazing mm. I mean being at a Duke game like talking about uh, I mean the high school side of it was amazing but getting a, your first experience of a college basketball game I think we saw Duke play Indiana I think and it was just like incredible so that just that just fueled me even more to try and play at the college level yeah so it was it was really uh it was really fantastic um in terms of the 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 access i think i had as well because of the family i lived with so here's so here's the thing paul right as much as we talk about culture uh, the impact on us as people as athletes as performers that ireland has and the you know the reverberation of those traditions into our DNA as people that take part in sport are uh, far reaching to the extent of not warming up. I've brought this up a bunch of times, whether it's with Enda McNulty or Dominic Manelli, who was on the show a while ago. I have no recollection of 
stretching and warming up. Uh, I've no recollection of strength training. That's because that just didn't happen or f- physical, uh, you know, flexibility, endurance. These things weren't done as far as I could tell. And must have uh, as much as you were a stringy guy, that's how we all looked. I mean, that was the physique of a yeah. basketball player from Ireland at the time. And you were behind. Like my point is here, you're way behind, even though you've gotten to this point, you're so far behind in terms of the physicality, I'd imagine. Uh, your game prior to leaving, as I remember it, was built on your first step and getting to the basket ahead of everybody else and kind of soaring higher than they could. It must have felt a little bit like uh, uh, Superman's <laughs> powers being useless on this planet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's a great that's a great uh, analogy. I think um, absolutely. I mean, when I first got over there, and you rightly pointed out, like my game to that point in Ireland was completely based on my athleticism and the ability to, I suppose, get to the basket and. When I got there first, I, I, I actually remember when I first got there, there was a pre, there was kind of a summer tournament and I literally got off the plane and uh, was was straight into, a, you know, jumping into this. It was kind of like a pre-school uh, scrimmage type of session. And then the night before or the day before this was going to kick off, I remember, you know, I was basically hanging out in the sun and I had my, sh- my shoes and socks off and my feet got completely burnt and you know like I'm talking really badly but oh, I no. didn't tell anybody because I'm like look I have to I'm just off the, off the boat here essentially I have to make a good impression I have to get out there so I, stra- I strapped up and played through the pain and to make matters worse you know I'm thinking right I'm just going to do what I did in Ireland and you know typically give a couple of fakes go right and try and try and you know get to the rim mm. And uh, and I very quickly realized, holy cow, the level of athleticism is just so different. And the the defensive intensity was such a, a shock initially. But that that whole scrimmage didn't go very well combined with the feet and the, and the, the fact that I couldn't do what I normally do, you know. Sure. Um, I mean, could you be more yeah. of a cliche Irish guy arrives off the plane, oh, gets God, too sunburned Far- to play? <laughs> Farmer's tan and burnt feet. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> you saw me coming, Charlotte, for sure. You know, the, that's obviously one aspect of the difficulty. And as you say, the you know, the reason why we go into this is because, you know, you, among the many things that you've done in with your life in terms of sport, outside of the, you know, the PhD and the books that you've published, the work you've done with Sea Change and this establishment of the Sports Dream Academy and this experience that you have had facilitates you being in the best possible position to help kids through what it surely is the the hardest part of it outside of lifting things up and throwing balls in hoops. Mentally, you're not at home. There, there is no central grill for chips at lunchtime there as as much as this is wonderful and all the rest all of the people that you love are miles away and as we know even up to recently irish girls and boys have gone and not survived the battle with loneliness did that ever get on top of you 
Yeah, it's a brilliant uh, point you bring up there. I mean, it was it was very challenging. I, I I'll always remember when I first got over there. My my parents, my family came over with me, which was really nice, and they spent a couple of days mm-hmm. meeting. You know who I who I'd be staying with, which is a weird concept in itself. You know, they're flying over to leave their son with a family who they never met before, <laughs> but it was great uh, in terms of you know they were confident that I was in a good setup. But leaving was them leaving was I mean it was gut wrenching. You know, it was very very sad yeah <laughs> and, nearly harder um, than if they'd let you off yeah. on the plane in dublin i'd imagine yeah i think it was actually i think it was it was really hard for both me and obviously my family you know i can always remember i've my dad's kind of a you know he's a tough guy but i've i didn't really hadn't seen him cry before that but he really he's the type of guy that he's very much in the moment so when he was literally saying goodbye he pretty much broke down and i, I you know that was just very challenging um so there's you know it's it's there's there, there are all those things that you have to factor in as well if, if you're a young talented player who wants to play in the states and you've got an opportunity you have to think about how it'll affect you how it'll affect your family how will you then cope with missing your family which is a very very uh, normal thing it's inevitable mm. and missing things like central grill and your your school friends and for me i for the first few weeks there was this kind of sinking feeling of missing mm-hmm. my family mm-hmm. you know really like it's almost like you've been detached mm-hmm. um and I, to be to be honest i really the one of the ways i coped with that charlotte was i just got into gym i mean i just jumped two feet into saying well i'm here for to do a job i'm here to get better at, ba- at basketball and that's what I'm going to do and I, I finally had the I think the resources to help me do that so so me kind of jumping in head first on my and working on my game helped me I think get over that initial month or two of of loneliness and homesickness um, and plus the the social support I had in in that with that opportunity was invaluable and and that's another thing I'd always advise parents more so than players who have opportunities now is what, you know, what are you stepping into? You know, is it a host family? Is it a prep school? If it is, what are the dorms like? Who's going to be kind of responsible mm. for your son or your daughter while yeah. they're there? What and does I, the day to day look like? Thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you uh, like it's actually it's funny that you bring it up because the Steve Kerr thing really stay, rings in my ears that you know the loss of his father and how he did exactly what you did the just pummeling yourself with work and and getting lost in that just getting completely lost in it was that part of the reason that you took on all these other things like you played soccer for the school and became state long jump champion on top of the basketball stuff <laughs> or was that just a case of the the seasonal element of things because as a lot of people won't know that over there there is very much parts of the year where certain por- sports are played yeah um one of the big things actually which was which was great about the school I was in was that they were hugely focused on sport and it was, you know, unless you weren't an athlete, but if you were an athlete, you were really, I wouldn't say mandated, but highly, highly recommended to play every, play a sport every season. Hmm. Pretty much had to. And um, for me, uh, I jumped into, so the fall sport was soccer, winter sport was basketball and spring sport was track. And, uh, you know, I'd never done any track in, in Ireland, I had played soccer, um, and I was decent enough uh, in Ireland, which mean which meant uh, at the high school level in America, in America I was Pele. very good. <laughs> yeah, 
it is an easy joke to make, but like I'd imagine it's true. No, it's totally true. I mean, I was, I loved it. Like there were, there were some good players. Don't get me wrong, but it was that thing where you know you you'd have grown up as well and and played soccer, and it was it would be cold and wet, and your feet would be freezing, and you'd get in these crunching tackles from young lads you didn't see coming. <laughs> and when I got over there, I was, you know, it was beautiful, sunny weather. I don't think Americans knew how to tackle, and uh, I was just loving lo- loving life. Um, I actually had a very good soccer career there. I, I ended up. Uh, God, yeah, I think I was. I think I led the conference in scoring in my senior year, and we 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 got to the state finals actually as well in basketball and soccer. My senior year, I scored a goal in the first half, and we ended up losing two one in extra time, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing soccer um, as well, and I, it, mainly because of the weather. It was just, it was like the nicest Irish sunny day every day playing soccer and nobody knew how to tackle so I love it <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I'm so glad that we went down that path because that is like that is that is a selling point I don't know if you bring this up to the the youngsters that you meet now through the sports dream academy but like that that would sell it to me that like look not only are you gonna do well at basketball out there given your your skills and your work ethic but there's this other sport that they're shit at and you're brilliant, you're brilliant at it compared to them I love it right we'll, we'll keep going Paul because there's a lot more here uh, the the offers come you know for you to play college ball and. You know, you fall in love with uh, Lafayette College, a, a Division One school, and they have a shooting guard already on their roster, and they want you to wait a year. And as much as you want to go to college right away and get going with your life, you agree to go to South Kent School, at the time the number one prep school, number one ranked prep school in the country, a powerhouse that's produced NBA players like Isaiah Thomas, Mo Harkless, Andre Blatch, uh, and in your own year, Darrell Wright. When you rock up there, like this is truly, I'd imagine that this is a whole nother level of challenge in terms of every single player, like seven of that team go division one two go to the NBA, one straight from the team. Like, Darrell Wright was 17 years old and went to the NBA, Kobe Bryant style. Talk to us a little bit about what that prep school experience was, because I think that's something that people would be fascinated to hear. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an incredible time. I mean, you know, the... I had a good, uh, very good high school career, obviously, and we got to the state finals um, at Ravenscroft. We actually ended up losing to, it was actually Charlotte Latin, who had Anthony Morrow. So Anthony Morrow, I, don't know, I think he's retired now, mm. but he had a good NBA career and he played at Georgia Tech. But he, um, or basically after that, as you said, I had a number of different offers, a uh, couple of Division One schools, which uh, I was interested in, but I fell in love with Lafayette. And then I was, I, I wasn't actually going to go until I heard that South Kent was the prep school. Okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, because, well, I really wanted to go, but if it was a, if it wasn't going to be South Kent where I knew I'd get an incredible 
experience just with the level of talent mm-hmm. um, and the coach the coach actually at South Kent at the time was a guy called Raphael Chilius and he was a former point guard at Lafayette so he had that connection as well and that's kind of how it, how um, I ended up there so I decided to do it and I suppose to sum up I have a story for you that might might kind of encapsulate my initial reaction from when I got there, I, I arrived at South Kent, which is a tiny little school in Connecticut. There's a hundred people, a hundred kids, all mm. boys on the side of a hill on the side of a mountain type of thing. <laughs> and um, this year, like basically the basketball team was like, ro- we're like rock stars because, you know, you know, you have, I was, I was the only, you know, white guy on the team and every, you know, you get, we had like Darrell, who was six, seven. We had a guy called Jermaine Middleton, who was seven foot three uh, from Crenshaw. He was, he was at Crenshaw high school, you know, so you could kind of spot the basketball team. <laughs> and uh, the first, as soon as we got there, we was straight into, you know, scrimmaging. And this was before practice was, had officially started. And we had a scrimmage arranged, you know, Coach Chilius had, had brought us together before that to kind of, you know, you know, player introductions and all the rest of it. So we got to this gym and I, I loved the South Kent gym. It was really cozy. It didn't seat as much as Ravenscroft, but it was a nice, cozy, great atmosphere. So our first scrimmage, we kind of warm up, you know, stretch, do all the stuff we needed to. And I noticed that people started coming in and when I did a double take, I realized, Jesus, I think that's Jim Calhoun. And um, <laughs> but, so for the listeners, explain pretty... who Jim Calhoun is. So he was the head coach of uh, University of Connecticut at the time, yeah. who, who played in the Big Big East, I believe, and they're you know a massive yeah, university. And then um, also Bayheim was there, who was the head coach of Syracuse. Uh, we had the head coach of DePaul University. Basically, some of the powerhouse co- college basketball coaches rocked up there was about 20 of them for our first scrimmage just to check so, it out just to have a little peek yeah yeah they were they were they were allowed to do it and and they they knew obviously south kent bringing in the, the caliber a caliber of players they were for that year they kind of came to watch watch the scrimmage so i was thinking wow you know first of all i didn't actually have time to really process and kind of go holy shit but uh we started playing and i you know i was like right i'm gonna I'm going to do my thing here. And and I, for me, at, the, at that time, I was really, uh, I, I'd become a much better shooter. And that was that was a big role on the team as well, especially when we had so many good athletic guys. So we were going up and down and Darrell was on my team. And um, basically, typical kind of fast break where Darrell got a steal or something and it was a three-on-two break. So I was on the wing and I ran immediately to the three-point line. And I didn't know Darrell at this stage at all. You know, I just met the guy essentially. So he was leading the break, kind of dr- come, dribbling down the middle of the floor, two defenders, and then we you know, two guys on the wings. And I was clapping my hands, kind of, you know, I'm open, I'm open. And uh, he didn't pass. And I kind of was like, Jesus Christ, you know, I'm open. I, the, the Jim Bo- or Bayheim and Calhoun are here. I want to show them I can, I can shoot the three. And uh, Darrell basically crossed over the first guy. Okay, so he beat the first guy, and I'm still open, screaming at him. Like, and then he he threw the ball, right? So he crossed over the first guy, but he didn't even kind of catch the ball with both hands. He crossed into his right hand, and flicked the ball off the backboard, and dunked over the guy, the second <laughs> defender. Ali <laughs> did it to himself. And I, yeah, and I, I remember kind of going. Good decision. Good decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice, nice work, Darrell. Good job. 
Uh, I mean, like it was was next level. Yeah, next level. I mean, like that's that's a move that you 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 would see in Division One. Maybe you wouldn't see. You you, maybe see it in an All Star game. Like this guy and the guys that you were coming up against. You know, this is as you say a different world. The team you've said before didn't gel like the that you went from being the number one ranked team to lower than that you maintain that's because of the chemistry between the lads we talked a little bit about that because you know that's a kind of an unquantifiable thing isn't it you you can put a bunch of really talented players on the court as that school did but if they don't get on and can't mesh uh, it's all for nothing. Yeah, so so it's a good it's a good thing to know as well. Um, yeah, prep school is quite different to high school. So high school teams would be together typically for four years. And when I joined Ravenscroft, I you know there was a good core, really good players. Like we would have had two the year I graduated, we had three Division One players. So we were a very good team. But but the the prep school situation is often the case where players come in for one year. You know they might have been in high schools around the country and then they want another year and it could be for academic reasons or it could be to you know extend their game or maybe they don't like the offers they have and they want another year to try and Mm. put themselves in the shop window so there that kind of has an inbuilt challenge especially for for a coach where how do you quickly get guys to mesh yeah and And also their their team mentality isn't there right they're they're more about personal achievement Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there was no, undoubtedly, that was the case at South Kent. And I think that was the biggest thing is that, you know, we we ended up, we started well, then we dropped off and didn't have a great kind of mid part of the season. And we ended well, and because I think there was more time for us to get a bit more of the chemistry back. But ultimately, there was, as we say in Ireland, uh, you know, May Fainers. where it was kind of me first mentality, whereas, you know, in the, at, at Ravenscroft, it was all about the team. You know, how do you, what are the little plays you need to do so that we get the win at the end of the, at the end of the, the day? So that was a challenge, I think. And, and um, the other, I suppose the other challenge was that we had a lot of players that were similar, you know, so we had Cheyenne Moore, who was an incredible athlete, went to Clemson. We had Darrell, obviously, who went straight to the NBA. They were both kind of six, six and six, seven swingman athletes we had Gilbert Brown who ended up going to Pittsburgh he was a similar type of player uh Jack McClinton very athletic. so we had a lot of similar athletes kind of vying for and competing for for the same position and then you know Darrell was obviously the best for that position but they the, those other guys were the best athletes so they kind of had to work around so we didn't really have a good core structure I think and and I the big thing for Raphael Chilius who was the coach was really to try and put manners to on the personalities we had, you know, like yeah. when I think back now, like, you know, how do you try and beat that Mayfainer attitude out? And it does take time. Yeah, um, but so also you can't well. really blame them, right? Because if you think of Paul, yeah. like your your safety nets were so much greater than somebody who'd come from Crenshaw. Like I, I often like it's only now that like I'm nearly 40 and I think about how you know, that thing, basketball was a way out for us. Like that was always something that I heard, whether it was watching Hoop Dreams or Blue Chips, that the poverty element of this and how much in the same way boxing 
was one of the few chances you had to escape the lot in life that your family had been given. A lot of these guys trying to beat the Mayfainer out of them or get them to focus on team over. I've got to try and put myself in a position to get my family food like it's a losing battle. It's totally I mean, the, I could probably speak, you know, for an hour on that alone, like the and it was a wonderful time, Gerald, for me. And I still have in particular from 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 that year, it was just one year, but two fantastic friends, Jermaine, who is the, the big the big guy from mm. from Crenshaw. And he actually ended up on the Harlem Globetrotters. No way. Um, oh, I know this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a Str- monster. Stretch Middleton. That was his. <laughs> yeah, he's huge. But he was very funny. He's such a funny guy. But I, I remember, like, again, the first week, and he was in the dorm beside me. Darrell was opposite me, and my roommate was a, a really dear friend of mine called Tavon Nelson from Baltimore. And Jermaine came in, you know, lights off type of thing at 11, and he came in at about half 11 and knocking the door, and he said, lads, like, you know, well, he, he would have said, what, what the hell is that goddamn noise? But he was freaked out because basically there was crickets, toads, things that he'd never heard of. He's never seen a deer in his life, you know, and he was he was just, <laughs> he was yeah. literally taken from Crenshaw and, and put in the mountains, you know, but, uh, you know, their experiences were so different to mine. I mean, Tavon grew up in Baltimore, in inner, inner city Baltimore, very, very tough, tough, tough upbringing. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't know his dad and there was, and he was the nicest, sweetest guy, but at the same time, tough as nails you know mm. like you wouldn't mess with them and we formed great relationships i mean i i'm Tavon, i'm sure wouldn't mind me saying this but i actually pretty much taught him how to read that year you know because we were roommates and i you know i'd give him a hand here and there and he was very helpful because he would have for him he was a fantastic player um, but he needed to get better grades and pass his essay you know get a higher sat score to get into college anywhere um, and he ended up getting a scholarship to college of charleston i mean that's crazy uh, paul that's great like first of all it's crazy that you know, this guy's not unusual that there, a guy could go wind up in that position that he's not able to read by that time or not able to read at a level where he could continue his uh, education. You hear of this. You must have had your eyes opened up to, you know, as shiny as America seemed to us from Newbridge. There must have been aspects of it and even just the Machiavellian nature of NCAA recruitment, how much money a good player is worth to these schools. Your eyes must have been open to that. Do you do you remember much discussion of that and how you know, as they say, you were cogs in a wheel. You were you were fresh meat to these uh, Jim Calhouns of this world. No, absolutely. The economics of the NCAA is fascinating in itself like the, the the money to be made and and the i suppose the, the the fan attraction to having a good player there is key and and uh oftentimes i think academics can be overlooked and again it's very much i think a reflection of the school and what they stand for like and that's another thing you know i'd always advise kids here in ireland who are who are looking at or have been have opportunities to think about what type of school is recruiting them because some schools place a higher emphasis on academics versus others um, like I remember even talking to Tavon just out of interest I said Tavon you know I was going to say Tay how did you even you know how did you get out get through sophomore year to junior year how did you get through it and he just said that um, 
because he was a superstar in his high school team, you know, he was he was kind of just given a free pass wow. uh, with, 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 with weekly quizzes and such. Now, that's interesting, Baltimore. Obviously, every school is different, and mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to understand that. Like, my experience at Ravenscroft was the exact opposite, where academics were very much important, and, you know, you, you had to stay on top of that. But there's certainly other public schools, particularly, that are not as focused at all. And if you're good at a sport, you can kind of circumnavigate the academic side but but that's not sustainable you know yeah i mean it's extraordinary that like you've seen this from every angle right that you know when once you go to lafayette and you have a really successful four years there and still manage to pick up the injury that would plague you for for years afterwards you must feel now looking back on it that all of this there's a certain serendipity to it because there's nothing that is going to happen to any of the players that are passing through the sports dream academy that you can't relate to in in some ways like you rushed back from that injury by the sounds of things out of an enthusiasm to you know finish your time and get going with your stuff is that like one of your biggest regrets not allowing that injury to fully rehab yeah i think it's it wasn't a smart move you know i mean it was a move in hindsight i made it this the decision emotionally rather than with my with my head mm. and you know i think it was really you know i was having the best year of my career at Lafayette to date and as a senior, you know, I, we were, I, I started every year at some stage throughout the season, but, but as a senior, I was a, you know, I was our starting shooting guard. I was averaging about 12 a game and we were, you know, had a great record going into that. And then just, you know, at the same time, we kind of lost two starters, including myself. And I really rushed back, you know, and I, I decided to forego surgery and just try and rehab as much as I could, at least to just get back and finish the season. But at that stage, it was probably the wrong decision. You know, I wasn't back to full health um, and our team probably, I mean, we benefited to a degree, but it wasn't worth maybe coming back so early. And um, so that was, and that was again, it's a good a, learning. And that was a romance. That was a, you know, there was a romantic part of you that thought, I'll come back. It'll be glorious. I'll get to graduate with my class and all the rest. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was thinking for me, I was like, Jesus, this is my time, you know. In college, in, in in Division One, especially, like typically, by the time you're senior, you've your game is as good as this is to that point. You're you understand the system. You can really add significant value, and that was the case for me. So when this happened, I kind of almost denied it. I said, "This can't be the case because this is my time. We've had such a wonderful first half of the year." And yeah, I, honestly, the big one of the big things too was that we were favourites to win the Patriot League Championship that year, that year and go to March Madness. You know, and wow. I was trying to, I was probably clinging on to that as well. Yeah. So not a good decision in hindsight because unfortunately it did kind of affect, I suppose, my pro career to a degree. And yeah, the you know it's one of those things now. I think, and it's funny to think back as well, Jared. That like the advice I'm sure players would get now is I wouldn't have even been allowed to make that decision. Mm today like today it would have been no this is what you have to do you have to get surgery now and you're going to end the season but that's just reality but but back then it was kind of you, you could still forego it yeah. and, get, and play through the pain um so well let me ask you uh, this paul because like you say it is now 12 years ago since you graduated and 
I mean, that's crazy to even think of that, that like you graduated with a BA in psychology and music and you went on to use basketball to take you to Edinburgh where you get your MSc in performance psychology and ultimately Ulster where you get your PhD. I mean, you definitely used it as a vehicle to enhance your employability afterwards and the life that you would make for yourself. My question is, though, it's such an unusual path no more than stand-up comedian is a weird choice that I made in my life. Paul Cummins could have stayed at the PBS, gone to UCD, played for UCD Marion, got a great job with KPMG, and his life is so, so different. You now facilitate other individuals to follow a similar path to yours is there ever a thought that like this path is is so precarious and so difficult and it requires such a specific type of personality and person that it's not it's not great you know to, to an extent that like it's it's such a roll of the dice or is it that you believe that even though it's all of those things great things can come of it yeah it's um again a great question uh, you know i've thought about that a lot and and a lot of people have asked me and again i, I suppose when i think about my career in the states i was lucky obviously injury aside which happened at right at the end i was lucky for a, a million reasons you know i really i really was which was fantastic and and that combined with I did work very very hard on on the athletic and, and academic side but a lot of people have 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 asked me that question they've kind of said what you know what was the big reason and what was your thought process and for me this is just who I am one of the big things is that I couldn't rightly live it myself if I didn't take the opportunity mm. so that was the big the big the big thing for me was well if I don't do this if I don't try how will I feel yeah, you know, if I knowing. if I if I stay in the PV, yeah, exactly, and and that I wasn't, I wasn't able to live with. So the only the only avenue really was to give it a crack. And I think I think, but you you bring up a really good point, Jarlett, that personality is is important. Understanding yourself, trying to be aware of how you'll react and deal with situations. How are you with new situations, for example? Because different people uh, react differently, you know, and. It, it really is a, a kind of a personal decision that has to be made with your support network. And you try and take as much advice as you can from those who you trust and love. But certainly there's a lot of variables and, you know, it, it takes some time to really weigh up. Is it the right decision? Because it's definitely not the right decision for a lot of people. So, Well, Paul, I think we should bring to a close our chat here on iTunes and SoundCloud. If people want to join us for the rest of the conversation, I'm going to get in a little bit deeper on the Sports Dream Academy and some of the amazing success stories that have emerged from it. And then I really want to ask you about playing against Steph Curry and Chris Paul, how you changed your game from being that driving game to the shooting game, which I'd imagine was ridiculously difficult. And then maybe we'll go into a little bit of chat about fundamentals and how the game is actually being coached at the moment back home in Ireland. So for all of the uh, listeners on the free platforms, 
Uh, that's it from Paul and from uh, Irishman Inside Basketball. Thank you, Paul, for doing it. Come on over and join us, though. Come on and join us on Patreon for the price of a pint every month. You get access to absolutely every episode, including all this bonus content. So, Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Charlotte. Appreciate being on here. What can you say about a man like Paul Cummins? I mean, what a joy that was. And if you want to hear that extra stuff, you want to hear the extra content, come on over. Join our team over at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Next week on the show, Sam Smith, one of the most celebrated basketball writers of all time. And as I said, the author of perhaps the most controversial basketball book ever written, The Jordan Rules, which literally blew the game apart and demysticized the Chicago Bulls and the Michael Jordan vision. This is going to be a big one next week on Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball. Thank you so much for getting in touch. First of all, Podcast at gmail.com is the place to email if you have ideas, guests or feedback on the show. I want to hear it. I want you part of this. Uh, it's been such a pleasure making this first season of the show. I nearly don't want it to stop, but we're already working on season two. Thank you to Brian Connolly for his production and thanks to the lads over at The 42 for putting me in touch with Sam Smith for next week's show. Massive thanks to Paul Cummins for taking the time to do this. The uh, Sports Dream Academy, it's easy to find. SDA.ie is the place to go to maybe get your kid or if you're listening to this, maybe you're the next one to go to the States on a basketball scholarship. There's no doubt about it, Paul Cummins can't help you. So uh, massive thanks to Paul, to Brian Connolly for his production, to Tina and Mikey for always making this possible, and to you lads for listening and uh, signing up and coming here to listen to this. Make sure you're subscribed for Sam Smith next week. It's going to be a banger.